This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, today we've got a special guest on the podcast. Her name is Sarah Wilkinson. So she is a gold star widow of Navy SEAL Chad Wilkinson. Chad served honorably for 21 years, including time with the Naval Special Warfare Development Group. Uh, tragically, her husband, Chad, died via suicide in 2018. Sarah has now dedicated her life to bringing awareness to suicide prevention, specifically within the spec ops community. And part of that is the Chad 1000X workout of the day uh, that was named in honor of Chad. So this workout is where you do 1000 weighted box step ups and it's done on Veterans Day every year and you can do that with with a ruck on and all those different things and so that's actually a workout that her husband would do prior to his death but I'll, I'll just say this right from the outset this is unlike any interview that we've ever done here on this show and it had a lot to do with the conversation that Sarah and I had off air before we started recording. So I essentially, you know, sometimes in the middle of an interview, like I'll just, you know, redirect and go, you know, go down this rabbit hole or, you know, check out something else over here and, you know, not really get to most of my questions with this one. I didn't ask a single thing that I planned on asking her. Okay. And, you know, she talked about that in the show. Like it was just a rough day for her. like the, the day started rough and it's just one of those ebbs and flows when you're dealing with the loss of someone that you love so deeply that, you know, even though time, uh, goes on and you get further away from when you lost that person, you're still having to deal with the day to day and not every day is going to be this peachy day where everything works out. And so we just weaved everywhere in this podcast. Um, and you know, it's almost, you know, right now it's like, Again, I'm almost at a loss for words just because it's like I wanted to be as respectful as possible to her and the memory of Chad and everything, but also to not belabor any of the points that, you know, other people have made or that she's made on, on her own uh, appearances that she's done. And so what's what's probably going to be the best thing for you today listening to this episode is if you haven't heard her appearance on Jocko's podcast. So that was a year or two ago uh, when she was on there. She went into a lot of detail on her upbringing, on her and Chad's relationship, on all Chad's deployments with the SEALs, on whenever he started to take a turn for the worst mentally. And then, uh, you know, the day when he, he, he took his life. Um, and I also have a link in the show notes to that. And I'll have a link to her recent appearance with Andy Stump because she did the same thing. So uh, we went a different route in this podcast. We, we didn't go through all that detail. So if you'd like to have some of that detail, it may uh, provide some color to some of the things that were being said today, but today we just, we just, we talked about grief. We, we talked about, uh, you know, the wake of suicide, you know, what happens, uh, after a suicide and after, you know, the, the meal train stop and, and the, the prayer meeting stop and all the, you know, people doing this in that memorial, like what, what happens after them? What about her? What about the kids? You know, how do you grieve? Well, like, how do you take care of yourself while taking care of others while still lamenting the loss of somebody that was so important? And we talk about all that. We talk about how, even though she's very introverted, she's made this her life's mission to not only get awareness out, because sometimes awareness campaigns are just annoying. It's like, you're making me aware of something and then not telling me how I can help fix it. Uh, but she is like, that's, that's something that she's dedicated her entire life to. And uh, again, guys, I just, you know, Sarah is an incredible person. Uh, she's an incredibly strong person, but she's also an incredibly resilient person. We talk about spiritual, mental, and physical resilience here all the time, that ability to bounce back. And, you know, she maybe doesn't always feel that way, that she's very resilient and very strong, but she just flat out is. And uh, it was inspiring today. Uh, this is an emotional one. Uh, both of us got emotional at several times uh, throughout all this, and we did our best to to take care of that as much as we could. But, man. Uh, this, this one was special and I hope it blesses some people because there are some, some people that are dealing with some of the stuff that she's dealt with. And, you know, when we get into this whole idea of, of suicide and grieving, obviously you guys know, just a few months ago, um, grieving, still grieving the, the loss of my cousin and, and what that's done to, to that part of the family, our family, but also landed. Uh, you know, we talked about that a couple of years ago, or actually would have been a year ago. Uh, you know, a member of my own foxhole, um, you know, he died via suicide just, just a year ago, you know, I think this, uh, we're recording this like the month, uh, of the anniversary of, of the, that, when that all went down and, you know, you, you do all this introspective looking and you're trying to connect all the dots going backwards. And it's like, you can't always do that. It, it, it's rough sometimes, but 
you know, this interview today will help you kind of look at that and maybe see some warning signs and see some things that can be done on the front front end, some preventative things and the, the controllables that you can control. And so, um, yeah, uh, again, just a special one. She's a very special woman. And this is, uh, this is a very, very important conversation for you guys to listen to. Do not skip this, share this one around, uh, share it with people. Uh, don't be afraid to, to ask people if they're struggling. Don't be afraid to ask people if they're, if they're having thoughts of suicide. Those are all things that, uh, that should come out of a conversation like this. So guys, without further ado, let's get into it. Sarah Wilkinson, welcome to Undaunted Life of Man's podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Kyle. So, uh, I'm glad you and I had a second to chat before we started the show because, uh, I felt like, you know, we got to know one another and, um, you know, we got to kind of, uh, share in the lament of, of something that, that we both experienced. And so, um, about a year, year or two ago, or it was a year ago, actually this summer, a good friend of mine, uh, took his own life. He was a police officer, buddy of mine, guy that I trained jujitsu with and, you know, took everybody by surprise. And this wasn't like a big emotional decision. It was like, you know, he, he just planned it out and then it just, it just happened. And then here a couple of months ago, a first cousin of mine, police officer was killed while on duty. And the initial thing that you run into is the tragedy of the loss of life, but then it's the wake that everyone kind of forgets about. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I told you off air, everything that I was going to ask you, I just, I'm throwing it away. Like uh, all, all the stuff that I was going to ask you, I'll, I'll, I'll link to some other interviews where you've gotten into some more detail. But let's talk about the wake a little bit, Sarah, because one thing that I mentioned, and I'm already getting upset, but when my cousin died, all I could think about was his wife and his two kids that, you know, all the firsts that they're going to have, you know, um, this week was the first baseball game without dad coaching and the first, the first daddy daughter dance and all that stuff. Everyone forgets about the wake, Sarah. And, you know, I'm surrounded by a lot of Christians and we love to do our meal trains and we love to pray for people and we love to do all that. But then we get distracted, you know, by life, you know, 60 days goes by, 90 days goes by, a year goes by, three years goes by, and you forget that there's still ministering that needs to be done. And so I want to spend a lot of time today talking about operator syndrome and and the kind of the wider issue, but talk to me a little bit about the wake and how, uh, I mean, that, that can be a lonely road. Uh, it's incredibly lonely. Um, yeah, you're going to cry. You're going to make me cry. It's just going to be a a fountain over here. Um, yeah, I woke up today. Today's a pretty hard day. I don't know why just is, um, you know, I think of, of grief and death like this, it's been kind of this analogy where it's this ripple. And so for me, my husband died. So I am that immediate closest circle. And then you take, you know, more family, they're the next circle. And then friends are the next ripple. And then acquaintances are the next ripple. And, and this is how it affects people. I mean, I'm not the only person who was affected by Chad's death. It spanned families, extended cousins, friends, neighbors, they all feel it, but who continues to feel it daily in daily tasks, drinking my coffee. I don't drink my coffee the same. Are those people who were the most closely affected and it, and at any point in all of our lives, we will be the inner circle to that loss. If that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, right. Your, your, did you say it was your cousin? That- yep. Right. Your cousin's wife, she is in the immediate wake of that circle. And um, you're right. There's meal trains and there's friends and they reach out to you and they check on you. And I've said before, I am incredibly fortunate to have a lot of amazing, amazing people in my life. That's never lost on me. Um, But what naturally happens is in the immediate loss of, of a life, people are around, your house is filled, meals are made. But then what I've determined is you get about a year, you get one year um, because everything is new. You haven't experienced a Christmas, a Thanksgiving, a birthday, an Easter, fill the blank. But after a year, people do kind of tend to go away because their life has gone on and you can't blame them for that. Um, And so their life just kind of continues per norm where your life is completely shattered. And I was sitting outside this morning. I just woke up just having a really hard day. And um, 
I was thinking about where my mind goes and I started to think about in the immediate days after losing Chad, how much it felt like a roulette wheel. And it's just when you first spin that roulette wheel, it goes so, so fast and the numbers are blurred and you can't really see anything. And eventually the roulette wheel starts to slow down and you can kind of make out the numbers and you see the ball bouncing. But for, in my opinion, for someone in grief, the roulette wheel never stops. Mm -hmm. It's like it somehow maintains just enough momentum to keep going around in a circle. And that's kind of how your mind goes. Um, And you just, you don't really ever get a break from it. So, as you're saying that, does it feel like in a way, so you mentioned the roulette wheel, which has this momentum and continues to spin, but to a degree, it almost feels like your life is on perpetual pause. Or if you've ever, you know, back in the VHS guys, yeah, to all of you that were born after the year 2000, you have no idea what that is. Screw you. We don't like you. But like whenever you would have a, have a VHS that would skip. So we would do the same three seconds over and over and over until the VCR busted or until, you know, the whatever's inside the tape started like coming out of the front of the VCR or something like that. Is that kind of what it, what it feels like? Because it's like, again, you, I think we all will be the center point of that type of pain at some point, but it's like, you don't get over it right? Like you can get over an injury, you can get over a breakup or you can get over a loss of a job and you can legitimately move on. And you might be triggered in the future when something reminds you of that. It could be a smell or or a person reminds you of that. Oh God. And when I used to date that crazy person or, oh man, when I used to work for that stupid company, but this is so much deeper than that. I think it goes to the soul connection that you have with a person whenever you're in holy matrimony with them, where you make a, co- you know, a covenant before God that, that this is my, this is my person. Or if you're a secular humanist, this is my chimp. Like this is my chosen chimp kind of a thing. I mean, I don't really have a question in there, Sarah, but it, does it kind of feel like this, this just track skipping a little bit? Oh, I mean, it's, it, it just shifts. So grief changes over time. Um, you know, keep Kubler, what Kubler Ross, however you say her name in those, those varying degrees of grief. And she basically says you cycle through them, you know, mm-hmm. denial, bargaining, etc. cetera. I, I disagree with all that. It's not true because all of that can come up at any point. So in the immediate loss of Chad, everything is just so raw. And most people um, don't necessarily show sadness. That's, I feel like a, a, um, a scarier emotion for people to express. So they express anger. And in my life, I would look around and I would see all of the things that I would never get to have again. I would watch families together in restaurants, dads riding bicycles with their kids, name it. And I was so angry. And it's it's as if it just builds in you like this balloon. And when you overfill a balloon, what do you do to, to let go of some of that air, right? You pinch it and you kind of let it seep out. And I found myself at times, and I think I know many of my girlfriends can relate to this, is that you just kind of lash out from time to time. Mm. People, sometimes total strangers who don't know any different, because you got to let some of the air out of the balloon to not make it hurt so bad. As time goes on, I feel probably less of that, but I I see, I still see all the ways that he's not in my life and all the things that I'm not going to get to experience with him. And that's just hard. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about the, what you mentioned there, where, you know, fear and being scared and all that, like it's so much easier to be angry. Obviously you don't know this much about me, but you could tell just by my face, I'm a ginger. So I got anger problems, right? So I've, I've had, I've had my fair share of rage. Don't worry. I don't punch walls or people typically, but uh, that is a much easier emotion because you, it's not a slow seeping of air. It is an explosion of air, right? Like you, you get to throw that weight down after you lift it. You get to choke that person a little hard at jujitsu. You get to run a little harder. Like you run until you're literally feeling like your lungs are going to burst. You get the release. You scream mm-hmm. the F word, whatever the thing is, you just, you get it out. But for me, like I try to control the other side, the sadness 
to an extreme degree. And it's funny, as you said that something I realized like in the wake of my cousin's death and of him being killed, um, like I was so angry, like even with my wife and she's, she's used to the nuts by now. We've been together since we were in college, but it's like, I, I tried to avoid the tears as much as possible. And, you know, I talked about it on my show and that was kind of cathartic and all that, but I kept, every time I would get upset, I would clench my fists, right? I would go to, I would go to anger. And well, I guess for you, Sarah, being this far removed from, from Chad's death, but also feeling like it just happened to a degree is what I would assume. Did you want people around you to share in your sadness? Did you, did you want them to share in your anger? Did you want them to counteract you? So if you were angry, they needed to be sad to kind of bring you back or vice versa? Or was it just, you know, am I, am I theorizing too much? I don't think I ever thought about that. Like I'm mad. I need everybody mad. I'm sad. I, I will say that, especially in those first initial days and weeks, the people that were around me allowed me to just be like yeah. whatever was happening they they allowed it and i'm i'm grateful for that um it was probably maybe the second day or the third day and i was reading through chad left me a letter and i was reading through the letter he left me and there's just something he says in there that's just heartbreaking and um i remember i had remembered there was a hammer in the hallway or somewhere and i went and grabbed the hammer and I just started beating my bathroom door. I mean, just obliterating it. And my girlfriend came in. I think about how did she do this? It must have been adrenaline. I mean, she caught the hammer on the backswing. Um, mm. And I just collapsed to the floor and I cried and they let me cry. And I beat that, that door quite a few times. And it stayed that way for close to a year. Mm. And um, my other girlfriend who was there as well made plans for a you know, home repair guy and bought a door and had it replaced. And my daughter had said, you really shouldn't replace that door. You should just leave it because she kind of knew it wasn't done. Well, sure enough, they replaced the door. And a while later, I beat it down again. Um, thankfully, I don't beat doors. Can't say never, but uh, <laughs> I haven't beat any more doors. Yeah. I've definitely broken stuff. That was kind of my anger was to break things. Um but I think what I've come to understand now is that, and I'm sure you've read those analogies that grief is like a wave, right? Sure. In the ocean. And at the beginning, they just like capsize over you and then they come without warning. And that's how it is. And, and you have to just, you really just have to allow the emotion to be as much as it sucks. <laughs> yeah, certainly as much as it sucks. But I, I would I would think that a lot of people try to find some semblance of stasis, some semblance of controlling the controllables, controlling enough of the controllables to where you can you can operate, to where you could do silly things like going to the grocery store or picking a kid up or, you know, being sad with them about something that seems really stupid, right? I mean, I'm sure, you know, you've got girlfriends or or people in your life that complain about these petty things and you just want to be like, you stupid idiot. Like, what are you talking about? Like, this is so dumb. I, so I guess maybe talk to me a little bit about that because everyone should would get a lot more out of life if they just assumed everyone around them was stupid. And it's like that you're going to have more empathy for those people. If you think, Hey, they don't recognize that what they're doing and saying right now is insanely offensive or stupid or short-sighted. But I guess for you kind of being steeped in this and marinated in it for a few years, have, have you found some, some outlets that kind of keep you in some semblance of stasis while giving you the ability to go outside of that stasis whenever you need to? Uh, I mean, you name it, I've done it in mm. terms of trying to heal myself. Um, literally, you name it, I've done it. Um, I'm someone who needs a lot of downtime and a lot of private, just alone time. Um, I don't do well being around lots of people for too long. Um, so I kind of recharge that way. I've talked before, I ride my skateboard a lot that has proven to be very therapeutic for me when, when my mind is on that, you know, spinning roulette wheel, it's just kind of like a timeout. Um, I obviously spend time with, with close friends, but for me, uh, I guess I'm not doing a good job explaining this. I know that my kind of go-to is, is sort of like to run away or escape. So I've spent a lot of time the last three years traveling and just leaving town, getting out of town, um, 
and I've talked at length about this. I, I live, I still live where we lived in the same town, Virginia Beach, and I love Virginia Beach. But as um, soothing and comforting it can be, it's equally as painful. It's it's like it's this duplicity of emotion. And and I just got back into town the other day. And it's nice to be sitting in my house, but at the same time, I wonder if that's why I'm so sad. It hurts. It hurts to be here. So uh, I, I can certainly understand that. I, it sounds macabre to other people, but I don't think it will be to you. Like my wife and I have talked quite a bit about, you know, what would happen if one of us, you know, didn't come home one day and, you know, we've got ourselves squared away financially. We have ourselves squared away, like emotionally. Like I told her, like, you're my one shot. I'm not going to get any better. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to get remarried, all that. Like we've had those, those, those conversations about death and all those things. And we've both agreed that, you know, for us, like we wouldn't be able to stay in the same house. Like we wouldn't be able to do some of the same things. Like we would try to hit a hard reset. It's, it's easy to say that on this side of it, as opposed to experiencing it on the back end. And, you know, maybe you need that friction. You need that duplicity to a degree. But but you said something that that ca- caught me that whenever you said you've, you've tried everything to try and, you know, to, to fix yourself, to try and heal. Um, at the risk of, of being bold, like, I don't think that's possible, Sarah. And I don't mean for you. I mean, this. it's like losing a child. Like when you lose a spouse, like, the, the connection is so unbelievably deep. It's not like the roots of a tree that's been moved that can be repaired with a lot of TLC. The only thing that I've ever seen in my entire life, Sarah, and that is with people that have experienced the loss of children, the loss of spouses, uh, the loss of just unfathomable things that they've seen in evil is turning to Christ and saying, I can't do any of this. Mm-hmm. I, I I can't, you know, I hooked my ponytail to a tree and said ohms and that didn't work. You know, I ran, I trained for a triathlon that didn't work. I kept traveling, you know what I mean? And like, and that didn't work, but it's like the only way that they were able, able to get rest was by throwing their hands up and saying, not me anymore, not me anymore. Like, and again, we're going to have a bunch of times today where if there's not a question, I'm just going to stop talking and let you talk. This is one of those times. So Go. I mean, I, um, and maybe I should rephrase that. I don't know. I didn't mean heal as in the, um, as in it's an end point. I just meant more, how do I process this so that I'm strong enough to carry it? Okay. And that has looked different too over the last, I'm coming up on four years. Um, the way that I was, and I talked about this with some other widows recently about how we were in the first year versus the second year versus the third year. And and you're right. I mean, the loss is always with us, Chad. I will carry Chad till the day I die. Um, the way I carry him is different. And sometimes maybe that's where the conflict lies is my love is always there. My grief is always there, but my life is also moving forward. So, so I said, I, I still live in Virginia beach. I did move homes. And one of the things that he and I talked about is that if he ever died to not make any big decisions for one year. So I stayed in our home. Hmm. I stayed in our home for actually two years. So my children could finish school and, and have some sort of normalcy. Um, but I have moved homes, but at the same time, so many other things in my life have gone forward. You know, I just, celebrated another birthday without him. I've experienced holidays. My daughter has graduated and moved to California. My son has graduated and gone off to college. And and so as my life evolves moving forward and the love and the grief is still there, I think it's this constant kind of check-in of like checks and balances of, of how you feel about him and your loss and your love and what that looks like with each phase. Do you feel guilty that your life is moving forward? Um, I don't think guilty. If you would have asked me a couple of years ago, yeah. You know, you just mm-hmm. kind of want time to stand still. Um, I don't think guilty, but um, just not what I thought my life would be, right? Um, like you, you met your your wife in college. I met Chad when I was 13. Yeah. So, um, it, it's, 
I'm not, I don't feel guilty about my life moving forward. If anything, I just feel sad still watching. We have a lot of friends right now that are all uh, breaching on retirement. I've been invited to many retirement parties. And while I am happy for them and, you know, want to express gratitude that they get to go on to this next chapter in their life, I cannot attend retirement parties. I've kind of allowed myself that one grace that it's just, that's like a non-negotiable. I didn't get to do that. Chad didn't get to do that. I can't, I just can't celebrate that. Um, doesn't mean I'm not happy for them. And so the same, you know, taking my son to college and, and, um, being like a single parent there, dropping him off and just those things are hard. So one thing that's been very clear in terms of my perception, watching you on, on other people's shows and, and seeing some of your public appearances, following you on social media. And again, social media is the biggest trick of all time because you're not showing any of the times that you wiped out on that skateboard, you know, and I know like if, if <laughs> what's that? I have some good stories though. Okay. We're going to get into that here in just a second, but it's like, you know what you can do. Like you can gloss up your life uh, significantly on social media, but for you as a strong single woman, or a strong widow, however it's most appropriate to couch it, you were irrevocably tied to Chad almost in his personhood. One thing that was very interesting, I forget exactly which interview, it may have been with Jocko, but you just talked about how, you know, as Chad breathed, you breathed. And and I don't mean that like in the literal sense, I mean that almost ethereal sense, like wherever Chad went, you went. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and when Chad was gone, you were you were thinking about how you could be there even when y'all were broken up. Cause I think y'all broke up two or three times before you finally tied the knot. Like it was a circuitous route. It wasn't love at first sight, got married when you turned 18 and then, you know, everything was peaches and cream. And when, when you lose that, you don't also at the same time, lose your responsibility to yourself and to your children. And so perhaps it would be appropriate to move on to discussing what, what you do with children, because you're, your wife first, but then you're also mama bear second and mama bear needs to nurture, but mama bear also has to be aggressive and be there to fight for her kids, especially when, you know, papa bear is not going to be around anymore. So, and again, we're still in, in the early stages, but even in those early days, what did it look like for your household in terms of how you're able to prop yourself up while also supporting your kids and telling them, Hey, it's going to be okay. Even if maybe you don't believe it at the time. Yeah, this is kind of a part of the story that people, um, it's it's not awesome. So my kids weren't that young. My son was 14 and my daughter was 17 when he died. And so mm-hmm. I've said before, that's such a pivotal age for kids. Even if they have both parents or whatever's happening in their life, 14 and 17 is just a hard time for kids. And um, in a lot of ways, I wish I would have done better. In, in that early loss. I, again, I had amazing support, but I'm sure that if my kids were, were going to talk about it, which I'm sure they won't, but um, I was a little checked out because I was just so deep in it. And of course, you know, my daughter, you know, had a boyfriend at the time and I think was just kind of focused on that in high school. And and my son really kind of threw himself into his friends and his friend group, because when you start to read about children and, and grief, it talks about how they more or less compartmentalize. Um, I can yep. say for my son, I'm not sure it really hit him hard until this past year, his senior year, I think is when he really allowed himself to, to um, feel and express to me the loss of his dad. Um, but with my children and the way that I choose to raise them, we are very, we are very open with each other. There's kind of nothing really is off the table. Um, and I allowed that from them too. And, and we, we each have all grieved this very differently. I clearly talk about it publicly because I feel that's a mission to uphold to, to keep others going down this path. Um, my daughter's pretty private, um, she took her a long time to really talk about her dad much. And uh, my son too, you know, he keeps it close to his heart. Um, I think what's most important when talking to children is making sure that they know 
that however they feel is okay. And just like I've talked about, those feelings are probably going to change, wax and wane with time, and that's okay too. Um, and not try to squash it or minimize it. I think especially with death and what I would call an out of timeline death, meaning Chad wasn't supposed to die at 43. Mm -hmm. um, I think people try to minimize that. And, and you can say, no, this really, this really freaking sucks. This is terrible. Um, being open. I don't know if that helps answer that question. No, it, it absolutely does. And, you know, it's always hard when you broach the kids subject because it's like, Hey, why are you bringing them into this? But obviously there are people listening to the show right now that are in a similar circumstance to you are, are maybe one person removed from a similar circumstance. So, you know, and you may not have a whole lot to add here, but I think what happens when something like this happens, when there's a tragic loss, you know, people immediately go into, Hey, let me know if there's anything I can do for you mode, which I personally hate that because what you've done is you've placed more burden onto the shoulders of that person because now they have to come up with something for you to do so that you feel better. It's like, there's a difference between, hey, I'll be there for you, brother, friends, and hey, I'm on my way, friends. I tell the story all the time when my son was six weeks old, we had to rush to the hospital in the middle of the night for him to have what we thought was going to be emergency surgery at six weeks old, first kid. And one of my buddies, Adam, he didn't text me and say, hey, buddy, I'm praying for you, even though we had a lot of prayer and that was great. He didn't say, hey, buddy, you know, let me know if there's anything I can do for you. He texted me and said, I'm on my way to your house to take care of the dogs. He had never been around my dogs. He doesn't know my dogs. He doesn't know anything about them. He just knows that they're not vicious. And so he's like, I'm on my way to your house to care for the dogs. Just let me know how to get in. The, you know, I don't need anything else. And, you know, that's the difference between a, hey, is there anything I can do for you? Hey, can I pray for you? And I'm on my way. Let me know how to get in and then leave me alone. We got this, right? I know people that have ran out with one kid in the middle of the night and a neighbor came over for the other kid because they were sleeping and they were just ready. So I guess what would your advice be um, to people that desperately and fervently and honestly want to give uh, ministering to a family like yours uh, that's going through that, what are the things they should avoid doing and saying? What are the things that they should do and say? I know it's contextual to every family and all that, and we're, we'll, we'll speak in broad strokes, but I think that would really be helpful for people because those well-meaning people sometimes stick their foot in their mouth and, and you know, they, they don't mean to. Oh, this could be an entire discussion in itself. Well, we got uh, time. Let's get you know, it. Um, and I, I talked about this recently. It's across the board for, for people who, who die, especially unexpectedly, whether it's, you know, a tragic car accident or suicide or, or whatever. People's natural reaction is to fill that awkward void with some sort of like platitude. Like, oh boy. yeah, um, you're so strong. Um, at least he didn't suffer. He's he or she's in a better place. I you know, you we could list a lot of these. I want everyone to just stop that. And I can understand who knows what I would have said prior to losing Chad. I could have very well said the same thing. I mean, you do learn a lot about life in hindsight. So I think it's okay to just sit with the person almost in the awkward silence and, and say something to the effect, like, I'm really sorry you're going through this. You know, I'm expressing it that way is better than trying to fill some kind of fake empty line. Um, People often said to me, how are you doing? They just say, how are you doing? And like, what I, are you supposed to say to that? I mean, and I would find myself like, especially in the blurry days, like I didn't even know how I was doing. I mean, I would find myself going, I don't know how I'm doing. And I remember expressing this to a girlfriend and I said, I feel like people should say, how are you doing today? Because when you just add that one word today, and this goes for people that are living too, because in our world, there's so much struggle with, with, with mental health and depression and, and et cetera, that people are really in a tough spot that if we would just change the language to, how are you doing today? It gives people the freedom to say, just as I said to you, when we got on today, before you started recording, I'm having a really bad day. Yeah. Give me the freedom to have a bad day. Maybe tomorrow won't be a bad day. It doesn't mean that my whole entire life is bad. 
It just means in this moment, I'm really struggling. Or, you know what, I'm having a really good day because X, Y, and Z happened. Um, and as far as people not knowing what to do, again, I experienced the same. I, I, I can't even express how much love and grace and support I've been given in the last few years, a ton. I've also been encountered with some very mean, rude, and hurtful comments. Not near as many, but they're just out there. Um, and so I think it is doing exactly what your friend did. It's just it's just showing up. And in some reason, death creates this bubble where people are like, I don't want to overstep. I don't want to hurt someone's feelings. And, and maybe in the moment, they might be using your example, which I don't think was the case. You might be like, why are you going to my house? Like, don't go in my house. Because they're in this whirlwind of a traumatic situation. But if they think that then there's a good chance in hindsight, maybe it's a week, a month, maybe it's 10 years down the road, they're going to remember, gosh, when my child was sick, that guy came to my house and took care of my dogs. That was pretty, that was incredibly kind. And that's what's been, I've had people, you know, bring me a girlfriend just a couple of weeks ago, made this dessert for me and brought it to my porch. She didn't tell me, she didn't bother me. She just sent me a text later and said, hey, I made this sweet dessert. I really thought you would enjoy some. So I packaged it up and I left it on your porch. It's like, I didn't ask. She didn't know what kind of day I was having, but it was incredibly appreciated. So I was saying, I was thinking about this too this morning, knowing that we were going to talk and where my headspace was of, of, I think, for some reason today, people steer away from saying or doing the kind thing because they don't want to necessarily overstep. And I would like to think that most people's words and efforts are usually more kinder than hurtful. Mm. So don't do it. I would say as well, like there is beauty and subtlety. And some people do things for people so that they can be recognized, right? They, right. they will... They will do the dessert. They will ring the doorbell and they want to hear you say thank you. They may not be aware of that, but they want to hear that. Um, I remember, and I, I shared this on my show, when I went to my cousin's uh, house after, you know, uh, we had lost uh, her her husband, I, I went there the very next day and I walked in the door with a baseball glove and a ball because I knew their son liked that and we, we were just going to go play catch. But as soon as I locked eyes with my cousin, she just came and, and cried on me and that's fine. And like, I didn't say anything. I didn't quote scripture. I didn't like, you know, tell her all these grand things that some, you know, a uh, random dude said that was smart a few hundred years ago. I just let her do that mm -hmm. and let her do whatever she needed to do. But before I left, a couple interesting things happened. I did pull her aside and I did, I did show her some scripture and I, I didn't say something silly that had no foundation, like, you know, you're stronger than you think and it'll all be okay. And any of those platitudes that, you know, any of you guys had in your mind, whenever Sarah was talking, I just said, you have a unique opportunity to show your kids strength that they will never forget that they've never seen before. And at the funeral, she spoke at the funeral, which I still can't wrap my head around how she did that. And as she walked back to her seat, she just ran her hand along the side of the casket subtle there's American flag draped on it. And it's like, but her kids saw that mm. and they're going to remember that. But then as I was leaving that day, Sarah, like leaving the house, there were like eight people in their flower beds, just, just taking care of the mulch and, you know, uh, weed eating and, and, you know, pulling some weeds and doing some things like that. They didn't ask to show up. They just showed up. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's very important for people because again, you never know, what you're going to spark in somebody later. And you're exactly right. You may think about that down the road and it just, it brings you a little sense of happiness in that moment. Um, and so I, I think that that's, that's deeply helpful. One thing that I know that you do a lot and the reason why you carry, carry this burden as strongly as you do, even though you're more introverted and would probably prefer not, um, is because of the signs that you saw in Chad uh, before you know, he died and not that you didn't do anything, but you didn't know what to do with the signs that you were seeing. And so I generally have a problem with awareness campaigns. It's like, why are you making me aware of this? Can you tell me what I need to do? Like you're making me aware about the plight of puppies in, you know, 
uh, I don't know, Tennessee, but it's like, what, can I send you money so we can save the puppies? Like, tell me what I can do. But talk to me a little bit about the signs that you saw, because this is an awareness that people think, oh, well, maybe that's just a Navy SEAL thing or, or that's a mental health thing. And we can leave it in the ethereal and the nonspecific and we don't really have to deal with it. Um, but there were certainly things that could have been done in things in, in every situation where we see something like this, like it wasn't Chad at the end, right? It simply wasn't, it was something else to a degree, but, but, but go ahead and talk a little bit about all that. Yeah. Um, obviously it was all recognized in hindsight again. I mean, I could look back and go, Hmm, okay, that was weird. That was weird. Um, and that's, what's interesting about the brain is that it is very complex. So, we can't sit here and say, this is what you need to do X, Y, and Z, and this will heal your brain. We're not there yet. Um, but it is about being aware of signs and symptoms. And so, like I've said, he, he was just, he was a very quiet guy, always quiet, always pretty reserved. Uh, wasn't like the life of the party, always going to be out. It just wasn't him. Um, but he definitely got more reserved, more quiet. Um, you know, his calm demeanor became short fused. Um, he, he slept terribly. I mean, I've said that till I'm blue in the face. I mean, and that had been going on for quite, quite a while, like well over a year, year and a half, just really, really bad sleep. Um, and like many symptoms you hear about PTS, PTSD, TBIs, yes, his eyes were super sensitive. He was sensitive to noise. He was sensitive to light. Um, he did get headaches uh, pretty often. And I, I've told this story, I think, once before, but um, we had a running joke over who could make better pancakes. It was me. <laughs> but um, it was actually probably him. But I remember a couple of times in the morning making breakfast and he would kind of lose his balance and he would kind of double step and fall over maybe twice. I remember this and he would go, Whoa, hey, whoa, and just kind of play it off as a joke. But, uh, I look back now and I think, well, that, that might've been something too. I mean, why, why would you lose your balance? You know, he's not 80. Um, and he, he was super hyper vigilant. As again, you can easily say, well, all those guys are right. I could, we could, you could get 10 wives on here and they're all probably going to say that about, about operators, but especially guys within Naval Special Warfare. Um, but it definitely became extreme. I would say maybe a little bit of paranoia set in and um, he just stopped smiling. So which I didn't really notice at the time because he was also in the transition of his career doing some different things. I think it was a little stressful for him. And so that's what I just always chalked it up to. Um, and so it's just important for me to share those things because if I could share with you the amount of messages that have inundated my email and or social media platforms from people sharing their personal stories to extend beyond military, but especially our police officers and mm -hmm. firefighters and just first responders as a whole. Um, it's astounding. And they say, I have these symptoms. Do you, you know, do you think I'm okay? And, and one, I'm, I'm not a medical professional. I'm not a researcher. I'm just a wife who has lived it. And the only thing I can share is my own personal story with the symptoms I saw. Um, and so we, they, you know, you hear suicide mentioned as the silent epidemic or with our veterans, you'll hear it re re uh, referred to as invisible wounds of war. And that's what's the scariest part about it is it is in a lot of ways invisible and it's silent and it just creeps in your house and you may never notice. So with that in mind, you mentioned, obviously you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. Obviously that's age old wisdom, but even though we're still in the very elementary stages, I, I, I feel this, this chronological snobbery all the time as just a side note where people feel like, Oh, it's 2022. We've arrived. We know how to fix everything. Like yeah. every fix comes in, you know, a little orange bottle with a white top or, you know, some, 
some new agey thing that you can do down somewhere down in Central America and then all of a sudden your, your life is fixed. Uh, it's just it's a silly thing for us to think about because we basically don't even know how the brain uh, functions in, in, in large part. But looking back, as you're able to connect the dots, if you could go back, mm-hmm. what what could be those things that that could have been done? And I say that specifically to your situation, but also to the people listening to this that are like, oh my gosh, I'm seeing some of those signs. What are those things that can be done? Again, everyone's a little different because what if someone's super extroverted and they become even more extroverted? Obviously that's contextual to them. But for, for Sarah and Chad, what, what would you have done differently? But also what can other people do that are seeing signs like this? And, and to be clear, guys, this doesn't always lead to the same thing, right? This doesn't always lead to people uh, hurting themselves or others or any of that. Like there's so much nuance here and I, I hate even using that word, but I, I would just like to hear from you. Like what are some of those helpful things that you could give to folks? Yeah. So, so I'm going to kind of answer that backwards and say, and in terms of, so, so Chad, we donated his brain to science and, and he had what's called interface astroglial scarring. So some of your listeners might have heard of CTE, hmm. chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which comes from, you know, that, that physical hit, whether it's boxing, NFL, our, our military experiences, CT as well. Interface astroglial scarring comes more or less from blast waves that they're exposed to. So breaching doors, shooting guns, etc. So he definitely had a physical wound on his brain. There are various treatments out there, whether it's the ganglion block, which Chad had, and he was still gone. There's MERT, which is uh, essentially kind of magnets on the brain. I'm going to simplify that. There is plant medicine research. Um, And then beyond that, there is what I call experiential therapies, which you can go online and find. You can shoot guns, ride horses, go sailing right? All that. Great. That's 16% effective, I believe, are the numbers right now. So it might alleviate the signs and symptoms of PTS or PTSD, but it's not going to actually heal the brain. So with that all being said, right? And it's up to you to, to if you're there, to kind of find the path of, of treatment that might work. Now, the front part of your question is, if I was with Chad and I could try to help him, assuming that he shared with me that he was struggling and he didn't. Um, I think it really comes down to basically triaging. And you said it. I mean, the brain is really complex and there's so much that we know, but there's so much that we don't know. And, and to that effect, how our brains are wired, it also has to take into account kind of what we've experienced in our life from birth up until you and I sitting here right now, which only adds to its complexity. But I think of triaging, because I've had some other wives say this to me, like, well, my husband is sensitive to light and my husband doesn't like loud noises and my husband sleeps terribly. And I guess my advice to myself or anybody else would be triaging the most profound signs and symptoms and maybe just try to focus on the most profound that you feel like you can alleviate. For example, his sleep. We did what we could. He also had sleep apnea, which many of the guys do have, which you have to ask yourself, why does a 40-year-old sleep with a CPAP machine? Um, but creating an environment, you know, whether it's you hear the word sleep hygiene, and, and he did. He did do a lot of things. He drank the Rick, uh, Rick, Rick Parsley um, drink every night. He 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 did a lot of things to try to improve his sleep with not much luck but my point being is as a spouse what could i have done to maybe improve that environment for him maybe i think nutrition is pretty paramount to our overall health yeah. physical and mental maybe what could i have done to prioritize that for him so that he could be on a more regulated regimented you know kind of whole foods nutrition um what could I have done to minimize the noise in our house? We have two dogs um, who aren't here right now, thankfully, but, and they're great, but man, they bark a lot, a lot. And I never really noticed it because obviously it wasn't kind of a 
triggering event for me, but anytime they barked, I mean, he went through the roof. Um, so you know, that, that's my answer is as a, I always say spouse or first responder, not everyone's Mm -hmm. married. Who's the person in your life when they see signs and symptoms, can you maybe have an honest conversation with each other and really talk openly about what is hard for you, the person struggling and ways in which we can minimize that stress on your mind and body. I mean, that's the only thing I can think of as a starting point. Yeah. I mean, and again, just to echo that it is a starting point. Like, obviously you're not, you're not prescribing anything to people. This is just to get things going. Um, but in preparation for, for this interview and for this, for this chat with you, Sarah, um, there were two things that I noticed that stuck out like a sore thumb to me, at least in your other interviews or even things that you've written or public appearances is like, you, you love Chad. Like he's still here. You talk about him like a giggly little girl, like, you know, you, you almost revert back to your 13 year old self when you mm-hmm. talk about him, And like, you can feel that, that, that not just love. Cause there's a lot of people that love somebody, but then they don't like them. You know what I mean? Like you loved him, you liked him, you were interested in him and not just because he was a cute kid in class, but because he was Chad and you were Sarah and you were Chad and Sarah. And like, that's kind of how it went. So that, that's the first thing. And the second thing is almost like this deep level of lament that he didn't. And you just mentioned it in your last answer that he didn't tell you that he was struggling. Yeah. And again, you can't do much with that because Mm -hmm. you can only control you. You can only control the controllables, but he was an alpha. uh, And then he got into a community of alphas and then ascended to the upper echelon of the community of alphas. And in those communities, you just deal with it, right? Like you, you don't get through buds and that's not just hell week. You don't get through the six months of buds. You don't get through all the other workups. You don't get through the deployments. You don't get through green team screening. You don't get through any of that. If you're really sitting there going, gosh, my toe just kind of hurts today. I really wish I didn't have to run with this boat on my head. Like, like those things don't, don't happen. You just get over it. You don't tell people you're struggling. You just deal with it. So I don't necessarily need you to talk about the first thing. Cause you know, we get it. Like you, you're in love with him and you will be, and that's just how it is. But on the second part, like, it's almost like you want to feel some responsibility, but you also intellectually know that it's, it's not your fault that he didn't come to you and tell you, like you couldn't have known, but walk me through that because I'm sure you've had your ups and downs just with that feeling responsible and then feeling like you were out of control and you know, everything in between. Yeah. I, again, I've talked about this before, but for maybe your listeners. So, um, logically I can sit here and tell you his brain was sick. He had changed. He wasn't the same. There was more at play, Hmm. right. That took his life. But what I also know is that the unconscious doesn't care about facts. And so when, you know, I'm, I'm in this, not just from a logical, you know, looking at the brain kind of neuroscientist perspective that they have, I I'm emotionally attached to this. And you mentioned earlier about taking a vow. And when you take a vow to marry someone in sickness and in health, um, yeah. There are many sicknesses that when someone dies, that's excusable because how, how could you have, have stopped it? You know, cancer or heart disease. Um, but with a suicide and with a mental battle and someone kind of struggling day in and day out, for him to not hold that thought for a second and then for him to be a Navy SEAL, which you know, yeah, he was tough. He did amazing things. He was type A overachiever, things that I loved about him. I would imagine there were many times in his job, he didn't feel safe hmm. and he's on high alert, right? And he's deployed and you just never know. And in that constant cycle and for him to come home to me, I felt safe. I felt the safest when I was with Chad always. So my understanding is, wouldn't I also make him feel safe where he could be completely himself? I was going to make him feel safe. And the safest place 
two married people, I think, can be is also the bed that you share together, where you sleep side by side. And so it's just incredibly painful to me that he didn't share a struggle with me, which makes me wonder, did I not make him feel safe enough to share that? And that when he did take his life, he got up out of our bed and walked away in the middle of the night. And so it's it's twofold and it's it's I'm going to do better at not crying when I talk about it, but it that's incredibly painful. Um, that's incredibly painful because there was nothing I didn't tell him. And um, I, <clears throat> I'm going to do it. <laughs> I think that your listeners or anything you listen to me on, you will understand the way I love him. So... There's nothing that he could have told me that would have changed that. And so I just, I don't know why he didn't tell me. Um, yeah. Um, I think it's important to note in all of this era is that there are people that go through what you've gone through that they, they navel gaze for the rest of their lives or they lash out in ways that hurt themselves and hurt other people. Um, and that becomes the defining thing about them is, yeah, you know, old Tom, you know, he lost his wife, you know, 20 years ago and he's just been you know, shut in curmudgeon hermit the, the rest of the time. And like they're defined by that horrible, horrific thing. Right. But what you've done and against your own wiring, <laughs> you know, as a person not wanting to go out there and be the one blowing the trumpet, you'd rather be the one behind the scenes listening to it. Um, you've gotten the story out about what happened as painful and as much as it sucks. And you've turned it into something that other people can attach themselves to for their own journey, for their own mental health journey, for their own improvement. So I'd like you to, to talk a little bit about the things that you're doing now from an advocacy standpoint, uh, from an awareness standpoint. Um, and then other things, obviously, you know, uh, perhaps in there we can talk about Chad 1000X. We'll certainly talk about that before we get you out of here. But talk to me about what's happening now, because I mean, in, in all honesty, and I, I tried to affirm you before you even got on here, like, you're not doing the normal thing. And that's awesome because the normal thing would be to do all this that you're going through outside of the public eye. You can feel that safety from, from all the eyeballs and all the attention, but there's something really important that you want to make sure it gets out there. And you don't want what happened to you and your family to happen to other families or to just be like, Oh, well, that's a thing that happened and there's nothing we can do about it. So, so talk about all the things that you're working on now. Yeah, I think, uh, I, I, I didn't see, I didn't set out to, to be this public speaker and person who goes on a bunch of podcasts to share my personal story. If anything, it goes completely against the way Chad and I lived our lives the last 20 years, but it's happened organically and I'm okay with it, at least for now, for the moment. And it really kind of stems back to that love. Like I loved him so much. And, and you look out into the world at the billions of people and you think, you know, everybody is somebody's person. Hmm. It's somebody's person. And I don't want the next person to lose the most important person in their life. And um, so just trying to use our story, and there are so many of us as the statistic, over 7,000 have been killed overseas since 9-11, over 30,000 have died by suicide. That's a staggering statistic. And yeah. so it's terrifying. Um, I do a lot of public speaking uh, to various veteran groups or within other nonprofits. I've also partnered with GoRuck, as, as you've mentioned, and we did start a workout in Chad's name. It's called Chad 1000X. And uh, Chad was, a, as I like to say, a hobby alpinist because the guy liked to do hard things that not everybody could do. He thought, I'm going to go climb some mountains. So um, he climbed uh, Kenya and Kilimanjaro in 2012, and then he kind of made the personal goal to climb the seven summits. And he did a couple mountaineering courses, and he climbed Aconcagua, which is the second highest summit in the world in January of 2018. And to do that, he trained 
religiously. Um, but doing one of the things he did was a thousand step ups on a box with a 45 pound pack because he naturally didn't want to be the last man up the mountain. He didn't want to like pull the team down. Um, mm -hmm. He was going to make sure he went in fully prepared. And, and I did speak at his funeral um, for two reasons. One, I felt that I would probably be able to speak the most uh, um, thoroughly as it pertained to Chad as the person and the man that he was, but I also wanted to show my kids strength. And I've tried to do that these last almost four years. Um, and so we've started this workout and we like people to complete it close to or on Veterans Day, which is November 11th. And oftentimes when workouts are made in, in, in names of the fallen, it's done on their anniversary date. And Chad died October 29th of 2018. But the story isn't Chad, right? I mean, it's named Chad 1000X, but the story is really about all of our current veterans and first responders who serve our country to give us freedoms and these invisible scars they carry. And so doing that on or around Veterans Day really is a testament to our current people in uniform that we stand by them and we see them and we recognize and we want to provide help and support to them. Um, and chad1000x.com is where people can register. The funds will go to the nonprofit I started called the Step Up Foundation. And the Step Up Foundation then filters those funds to programs that serve uh, veterans for TBI, PTS, and blast wave injury. Um, and so this topic is really growing in momentum. There, You can find a ton out there on the internet right now regarding mental health, which is a great thing. Um, but I don't want to talk about it. I want to be about it. And that's all I'm trying to do is, is share my story. Um, unfortunately, I know too many other stories that I, I never include in interviews because, because it's not my story to tell. But I'm just one of... of thousands of thousands of people that have experienced this loss. Well, you're not trying to do it. You're doing it. Uh, you, you're absolutely uh, doing it every day. And as we talked about before, we even got all this started, like, you know, there are days that just flat out suck, but it's a day and, and you're blessed to have that day. And you have to figure out a way to get to the end of it. And for a lot of people, you know, you, you talk about, you know, the inspiration behind the workout and everything like that with a lot of these mountaineers or, or these types of people, it's the next step. Like that, that's really all it is going all the way back to his, his training to be a Navy SEAL. It's that next thing. It's right. just get to that next meal or get to that next, you know, get to that next seagull as you're running on the sea, like it's get to the next thing. And that, that's what you're all uh, there to do. And, and I'm so glad to, to be in the show for, to be an ambassador for the Chad 1000 X this year, guys, you were listening to this, I think exactly 30 days before veterans day. Okay. And so you've got a little bit of time to train and, uh, just, you, you didn't necessarily talk about this, but I'm going to be doing it the way that he did. So I'm going to have the 45 pound pack. I've got, you know, the box that I'm going to step up on and all that. But if you're not there guys, like do this with a buddy, right? You don't have to do it with a pack. You don't have to do it with a 45 pound pack. You can do a 30 or a 15 and like, you can go back and forth with a person. And if you're going to do it by yourself, get ready to get about an hour in, right. You know, without breaks and all those types of things. But as I've done with other memorial workouts and I've been, I've been parts of other memorial workouts, ones that are known internationally and ones that are only known, you know, locally when you're doing those things, don't just look at it as an opportunity to post something on Instagram with a particular hashtag and say, look what I've done. Try to bounce off that attention off of you onto whatever the thing is onto the foundation that's being supported onto the family that's being supported, because that is your role. In my opinion, you can differ with me on this Sarah, and I'll take the correction, but this is not, this workout's not about you guys, right? This is about honoring somebody else. I remember years ago, you know, someone's mother died suddenly a coworker of mine. And I went on a run that day. Like it wasn't a memorial workout, but I went on an especially hard run and I did no music, no headphones. And I just, I thought about that family and I prayed for that family the entire time because they were the point. Right. And so that, that's the encouragement I would want to give to you guys is not only do that, go and register. There are people that are gathering in your area that are doing it. You can do it by yourself. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of different options out there. So, um, 
Sarah, there, there's there's more that we can talk about, but I, I think that we've covered a lot of a lot of ground today, and and we've done a lot of good. Um, and I'll have stuff in the show notes so people can can know where to find you, know where to find all these different organizations and everything else like that. But is there anything else that you'd like to uh, say to our audience before we let you get out of here? No, just um, I would say that if you have someone in your life that you think is struggling, your first thought might be to not ask them if they thought about taking their life or to ask them if they're struggling. But that's exactly what you should be doing. And if you feel as though something is off with someone that you know and love, trust your gut and, and lean into that. I can absolutely co-sign that as well. Sarah Wilkinson, thank you for coming on Undaunted Life of Man's podcast. Thank you, Kyle. There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed my time with Sarah Wilkinson. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So I've got a lot of links for you today. I have a link to Sarah's Instagram page because that's where she does the majority of her communication. But also she mentioned the Step Up Foundation. So that's the foundation she started in the wake of Chad's suicide. And so I've got a link to their Instagram and also to their foundation page. And then I've got a link to the Chad 1000X website. So if you guys are going to do this website, if you're going to do it at your, your gym or your, you know, your group or your foxhole or whatever, make sure you go to that website and register. Also, I've got a link to the GoRuck website where they have some gear. So if you're wanting to buy a ruck or some different things that you can use for that workout, you can go there and do that. And then I've got links to her interviews with Jocko Willink and also Andy Stump. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. We do appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. <laughs>